it really just pushes some salt deeper deeper into that wound you know yeah <laughs> twisting the knife a little bit yeah. more Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who is absolutely ready to take over for Cal Elder as the Royals pitching coach, my brother, Mike. I could stumble bum drunk out there and do a better job than that guy. <laughs> all right? Maybe that's what he's doing. You don't know. You don't know <laughs> yeah, maybe life. he's just doing that. Yeah, he's all lit up before the game and ready to go. His method Hell, if my performance are... was that bad, I'd definitely be getting drunk every day. <laughs> Why is he, why are the Royals pitcher so bad in the first? Because he's half cocked out in the locker room. He doesn't know where he's, he's not even out there. He's in the bag with Harry Doyle. Just <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, on this week's episode of Royals Weekly, we will dig into what was a week of both hope and turmoil for the Royals as the Royals were forced to start playing their young players, but are still maddeningly clinging to some veterans and finding ways to blow winning opportunities. Mike, how would you describe the temperament of Royals Nation right now? Well, just just from taking a little uh, temperature of on the on the Twitter machine, homicidal would be the uh, <laughs> especially after today's game. They are hot, boy. There are some people who are not happy. <laughs> um, but hey, I get it. I get it. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 real hot out there right now. But hey, if you watch today's game, it's Sunday, May twenty second. We're recording this. You understand why they would be homicidal. You understand why they would be extremely unhappy, calling for everyone's job. Everyone to clean house is the is the is the term of the day. I think. Yeah, oh yeah, for the Royals. Yep. Let's talk about the week that was the week that is leading Royals Nation to. Uh, Searching around for pitchforks. Let's just say yeah. that they're yeah. searching uh-huh. around for, for torches. <laughs> they're searching around for pitchforks. It's a uh, buy stock buy stock and tiki torches right now <laughs> because uh, they're uh, they're looking for to, to start a, a march, a petition. They're, they're, they're calling for heads right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They want um, jobs. They want yeah, jobs we, to be had. Yeah. We, so we got to talk about the week that causes all this, all this um, turmoil. We're going to start with roster news, but we're going to start with sort of, there's no way to tell. We don't have like a section just for coaching news. And so we're going to start by talking about the transaction that took place that was really on everybody's mind earlier this week. And that's the firing of Terry Bradshaw. The Royals fired their hitting coach named Alex Sumwalt, the new hitting coach, and also brought on Mike Tozar as a special assignment hitting coach, but he's going to spend time in uniform in the dugout with the Royals. So the Terry Bradshaw era of hitting coach is over. The Alex Sumwalt era has begun. Mike, what do you think of this move? I think it was inevitable once uh, Zumwalt was kind of brought on. It's really a bad set of circumstances for Terry Bradshaw as well, because he becomes the hitting coach. And then these guys in the minors start just, following Zumwalt and the things that he's doing and are just killing it. And the, that sets it up for, okay, we're going to bring these guys up. Who are they going to want as their hitting coach? Right. So it, it was not a good situation for Terry Bradshaw to be in to begin with. And, you know, as much as you want to say, okay, well, Cal Eldridge gets to keep his job and he's doing worse than Terry Bradshaw. That is completely correct. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like they've been lighting the world on fire offensively either. You, you want to see steps taken forward and offensively, they haven't. So it's not like you can say, well, dang, he should really be keeping his job. He had two things going against him. The guys that are behind him seem to know what they're doing, and they haven't produced. Well, yeah, that's that's the big thing, really, is that when you have guys succeeding at the minor league level as hitters, 
and then they come up to the major league level and they're struggling and they're not succeeding, they're going to start looking at like, well, who's what's, what's the X factor here? What's changed? Well, what's changed is obviously level of competition has gotten better, but also the hitting coach is different. And, you know, you have some things happening at the major league level for the Royals that were really trademarks that were really like hallmarks of bad Royals hitting, you know, terrible patience at the plate, inability to draw walks inability to have good plate appearances, guys who are way too aggressive hitters. This, this is the, what will mark the Terry Bradshaw era as hitting coach fairly or unfairly. That is what will mark his tenure as hitting coach is that way too many of the major league hitters were impatient, had poor plate appearances. And ultimately that led to not too much success and not too much productivity. One thing you can say about Alex Sumwalt and the overhaul that is made of the minor leagues is that the guys that they have having success have much better approaches than the guys at the major league level. The MJ Melendez's, the Nick Prados, the Vinny Pasquantinos, the Kyle Isbell, who was also a product of that, of that previous uh, or of the Alex Sumwalt and the Drew Saylor and all those guys much better plate appearances than the Salvador Perez's of the world, even though we love them, not a great uh, plate appearance often from Salvador Perez. Yeah. And that's, ex- you said exactly what I was thinking when MJ Melendez comes up and gives you the, and uh, Kyle Isbell, and they give you the best at bats you've had maybe in years as Royals hitters, you have to look at that and go, what, why is this the case? And they said, okay, who was the, who was the guy that taught these guys th- that approach and it was Zumwalt gets a lot of credit for that, especially Melendez and the gigantic turnaround to his prospect status. Yeah. And it's not that, I mean, it's not that Terry Bradshaw was the problem necessarily, but he, we, we keep saying this about Cal Eldred as well. And the same is true of Bradshaw. It's not that he was the problem, but it was very clear that he wasn't the solution. That's and a great so way of putting it. When it's, when it's like, when it's that time, it's time for you to move on. I mean, I'm an, I'm a firm believer in the notion that hitting and pitches coaches are hired to be fired. Because they're the ones that you move on from first. And then if the losing continues, you move up to the manager. If it continues, move up to the general manager. This is how things get changed in Major League Baseball. And so, yeah, it was time for Bradshaw to go. Honestly, it's overtime for Cal Elder to go. And the firing of Bradshaw raised all the questions like, well, then why doesn't Cal Elder lose his job? Because the pitching has been worse for a lot longer than the hitting. And in some ways has been worse than the hitting, despite the fact that the pitching has been given a ton of young talent and the hitting really hasn't gotten theirs yet. And so, yeah, there, that's an open question. We might talk more about that later. We have been on the fire Cal Elder bandwagon for a long time. I'm just going to come out and say, we, we sometimes we tip people tiptoe around it. They're like, well, I don't know, but no, I'm just going to say it. Like we've been on the fire Cal Elder bandwagon for a long time. Don't know if it's going to happen. Don't know what to expect there, but there is no rationale in my mind that explains firing Terry Bradshaw and keeping Cal Elder. I'm going to give one more thing here. I think possibly one of the reasons is Zumwalt was there to take over. He had had the success at the minor league level. I don't know that there is that guy for a Cal Eldred where you can say, oh, well, we've already got this other guy who's shown that I mean, he can you're have ready. You're ready. I am to ready to go, in. baby. I, mean, you're I am ready, ready to go. To in there. go. And that's my Mowed point. the yard today, had a drink. I'm ready to go. <laughs> you're clearly ready to start leading a pitching staff. I that's think that's right. obvious. But I was a pitcher when we were 12, I think. I think it was the last say, time I threw a pitch. <laughs> let's say they don't want to go with Mike as their pitching coach. Crazy decision. But let's say they don't. <laughs> there are so many people out there who could do it. So oh, yeah. many people yeah, yeah, yeah. who could do a better job than Cal Elder at this point. Yeah, you got to go. You got to go to an organization that does a good job. You got to go to the Rays, the Giants. Tell um, me, you can't pull someone from their minor league system to do a better job than? Oh, they than, could. Uh, oh, yeah. You absolutely yeah. could. You absolutely mm-hmm. could. I mean, tell me, you can't. You. But I don't want to. Can. 
I don't want anybody from this organization to be their pitching coach. No, I'm not no. talking our minor league system. Oh, yeah, I'm no, talking yeah. someone I'm saying, else's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Go get a Giants sure. minor league pitching coach. Go get a mm-hmm. Rays minor league pitching coach. Go get anybody. You can just pull anybody who is well, – I want them to be under the age of 40, honestly, I want, or under the age of 50 at least because, let's be honest, a lot of the problems that exist in the Royals pitching development and in Cal Eldred are stem from the fact that they are people who developed an idea, an ideology, a dogma about pitching a long time ago and have not broken from it, and that stuff is all extremely outdated. And so we need people who are interested in developing pitches. We need people who are interested in having guys throw fastballs up in the zone in having pitch mixes where the fastball isn't dominant and things like that. We need people who are thinking in 21st century terms when it comes to pitching as the pitching coach, not some guy who was like, let's get out there and establish the fastball. Let's get, you know, stuff that just doesn't make any sense. We really should move on to other roster news because actually a ton of things happened transaction wise for the Royals. They didn't just fire a hitting coach. They did a whole bunch of other things too. Uh, So I think the one that people are mostly talking about right now is that Brady Singer has been called up twice this week (laughs) or was called up twice last week. I should say once he was called up as the 27th man for a double header, he made a start, a very good one. And then he came up again today to make a second start this week. I'm going to talk a little bit more about how those starts went, but it was great to see Brady Singer back up in the major leagues, pitching well, using his changeup. Wonderful stuff to see. That's the one thing that's making fans happy this week is how well Brady Singer has performed as since he's been recalled. Less happy news. Salvador Perez was put on the 10-day injured list with a left thumb strain. As a result, Sebastian Rivera was called up to serve as a backup, but MJ Melendez has been catching virtually every game. I think Rivera caught today, but uh, Melendez is now the primary catcher as Perez is on the disa- or the injured list, uh, including uh, Melendez caught a, both games of a doubleheader when uh, Salvador Perez went down, which is a very rare feat. So that was interesting to see. It's nice to see him get a lot of playing time, Melendez, because so there were some times when he wasn't playing as much when Perez was, was uh, available. Another guy was sent down, Carlos Hernandez. Mike, you and I were both talking about how this probably needed to happen. What do you think about seeing him sent to AAA Omaha? Uh, I thought it was great, and I hope it, I hope it's something that they stick to and they don't get in a, a hurry or a fluster when a guy goes down or a guy's ineffective either in the bullpen or the starting rotation. Bring up somebody else, leave Carlos Hernandez down to develop. Same with uh, Chris Bubich. You know that my they're going to start panicking like a guy gets hurt. Oh, we need an effective start from somebody. Go get Chris Bubich or go get Carlos Hernandez. Don't do that. Go get, I don't know, whatever rando they have down there right now. One of the games under 500. <clears throat> yeah. Why do you need an effective start? From exactly. Oh, just this game is going to really matter. When get we're a, get anybody to, to do it and leave those guys down there to continue to develop. Yeah. Hopefully Hernandez gets a handle on those fastball issues. He's got on the command issues. He's got because it's just was looking very bad for him up. I mean, they get an ERA over nine at this point. And so, yeah, not great for Hernandez. Good to see him go down, get some work, work with some people who can maybe develop a pitcher. And then maybe look a little better when he comes back. Royal sent Michael A. Taylor also to the 10-day injured list. We presume it is with COVID because it happened under COVID-like circumstances. And that was the word on the street. But I don't think they officially said it was COVID. So I don't want to say officially it was COVID. But he's on the 10-day injured list. Kyle Isbell has been starting most of the time for him in center field. Great to see him get regular playing time. We'll talk more about him later too. But just so nice to see him hit every single day. Yeah, we didn't, uh, you don't have it on the list here, but they called up Darion Blanco briefly. Did they send it back down already? Or is he still there? Darion Blanco? Darion? Dar- I, was- Dyron. Dyron? I, I don't know. I don't know. He's a little bit of an interesting guy, kind of a good on-base guy that can play center. 
Um, he's interesting at, at the very least. Uh, yeah, your prototypical fourth outfielder, 29-year-old. He was a Cuban prospect. He didn't come to the United States until he was 25. But uh, really blazing speed for Blanco. Good defender and center. Don't know if he'll ever hit enough to be a major league regular, but certainly a guy who's probably capable of being a fourth outfielder someday, a really consistent one. So, yeah, it was good to see him get a shot. He got a hit in his first major league plate appearance. I think he tried to turn it into a double and yeah. <laughs> got gunned at second. But uh, good for him. Go out there and you run like crazy. Uh, they also made a few, the Royals also made a few bullpen moves. They've been in a long stretch of consecutive games. And so they need arms really bad. Cole, Dylan Coleman was sent down. He's having a real trouble walking people. We're going to talk more about that a little bit later too. So he was sent down. Foster Griffin was brought up and sent down all this week. He got a chance to come out and had one good outing, one poor outing uh, here at, in the major leagues. And then Ronald Bolaños was activated from the injured list after going on there earlier. Uh, so he's back with the Royals. They're kind of just patching together a bullpen at this point, trying to find arms where they can. I think a peacock came up and went down. Hard uh, yeah. to remember which one, one of the peacocks yeah. is up. He, he threw for a little bit, I think. Yeah, just a lot of crazy stuff going on with the bullpen as they try and really just get innings out of them because they have played so many games in so, in so few days at this point. As you may be able to tell, it was a rough week for the Royals this week. They went two and six, which brings their overall record to 14 and 26. It was a little bit of an odd week because before the game, the end of the game today, I was actually thinking about talking about some really hopeful tone to this episode because I'm really happy with how the young players have looked since they got regular playing time. In my mind, the team looked more competitive this week with John Heasley and Brady Singer throwing well in the rotation and Kyle Esbill and MJ Melendez hitting well in the lineup. The Royals have been in virtually every game that they played this week, though they have had a couple of heartbreaking losses, late losses. Today, they just imploded in the bullpen and as a result ended up losing the game seven six what do you think about this week mike what is your sort of big takeaway i was actually really surprised with the white Sox series the most because of how competitive we were during that series it was a five game series because of that double header the makeup double header thing but when those young guys are in there and hitting we can really compete and put up some runs and you know if you get a solid start from a keller or you get a day like today with Brady Singer, that's going to put you in some games. We're not going to win a series likely, a five-game series with the White Sox, but when you're in every single game, it's the 2013 Royals, right, who weren't ready to compete for a World Series, but they were competitive in every single game in the second half of that year because those young guys were coming up and starting to produce. Maybe that's what this can be for the rest of the year for the, for our guys. Yeah, it's interesting when you look at the rotation now, which now is made up of Granky, Keller, Lynch, Singer, and Heasley, and it looks like, okay, those guys are for the most part going to make you competitive in games. You're not going to have a Bubich start, a Hernandez start very often from these kind of guys where you're six runs down after the first inning. You know, It's going to look more competitive, and that's what it looked like all week. They were in games most of the time. Yeah, they needed to maybe score a few more runs. They needed to hit more with runners in scoring position. They really struggled hitting with runners in scoring position in that White Sox series and early in the Twin series. But that's the type of stuff where you're like, okay, that's all variance. That'll come back to the mean. They'll start hitting better with runners in scoring position soon. If they keep getting good starts, if they keep having good plate appearances, keep getting guys on base, eventually they're going to start winning some of these games. I know it looks hard because they lost a tough one today because they got swept by the twins because they're on a four game losing streak. But look at those young hitters. Look at these young starters. They are playing better baseball today than they were at the beginning of the year. And that's really promising in some in some respects. Yeah. And when you're not down five after the first, it turns out a game gets easier. 
It's wild, yeah. man. It yeah, is wild. It is wild. Yeah, it's wild. The game gets easier when you're not down five after the first. Like we said, people are hitting. Some people are pitching well. This week wasn't a total bust for a week. So that means we had some strong performances. Mike, who do you want to talk about in terms of who stood out this week? There were actually quite a few people to pick from this week. Nikki Lopez had a little bit better week. MJ Melendez looked really good. But I went with Andrew Benintendi because he's been so good all year. 12 for 32, two double, or no, sorry, a double, four walks. He's got an 882 OPS this week. He's been so consistent, and I know there's so many people who want to sign him to an extension, and I'm not in that camp, but I certainly understand that argument. Yeah, he's just been he's just been the guy we needed so many times, and I like him. I, I do like him in the two hole too because he's a little bit patient. He can hit the ball kind of all over the field. Not going to hit you very many home runs, but I like what he's been doing. This is Andrew Benintendi's game that he should have been playing all along. Yeah, and in the two-hole, as a lefty, somebody gets on first base that opens up a little bit more space for you to pull the ball if you're going to pull the ball. He's good at going the other way anyway, and so that's not as big of a deal, but he has played very well for the Royals so far. Really came through today. I think he went three for four today, so looked great today as well. Uh, I'm going to talk about a guy who we got got to talk about because he is the, the biggest bright shining hope of the week, and that's Brady Singer. We mentioned him earlier. Made two starts this week, went 14 innings, gave up no runs in those 14 innings, three walks, 12 strikeouts, got into a little jam here and there today, but always worked his way out of it. And that's one of the big things for him is he is not looking as implodable, if that's a word, (laughs) as he has in the past. He is looking a lot more capable of dealing with those difficult moments when things don't go his way. And he's doing it a lot of the times with that changeup. That changeup got him out of trouble multiple times today. And it's just, it's changed his entire game. Not because it's amazing. It's not an amazing pitch. It is definitely not above major league average as a pitch. It's just that it puts something else in hitters' minds. The the slider and the fastball are good, really, really good, above major league average. I would say probably 60-grade pitches when they're on. The changeup is average. It's a 50-grade pitch. I don't even know if it's average, honestly. (laughs) It may not even be average. It might be a 45-grade pitch. But but it puts something else in their minds. I I I put out a tweet today that mentioned a strikeout that he had against Trevor Larnark. I can never pronounce his name. I think there's a second R in there. It is. It's Larnark, I think. No, it's not. It's Larnark. It's Larnark? There's I'm two R's. Sure it's it's A R A R. No, it, there is not a second R. It there is, is not L- a second A-R- R. In there. Okay, my bad. Yes, it is Trevor Larnick, an and he uh, Brady Singer struck him out today. He Larnick's a left-handed hitter, and normally that would really hurt Singer because he before he had his changeup, he had nothing to throw to them besides sliders down and in and fastballs up and, and away and things like that. But today he got Larnick to two strikes. And I feel like I could see it in his mind. He was like, is he going to throw the slider down and in like he normally does? Or is he going to throw me that new changeup he's been throwing? And he threw the slider. Larnick was late on it and it was down and inside. And it was just, it was a beautiful pitch. Struck him out. I felt like I could see it. Yes, he got some weak contact from sliders today. I think he, or from changeups. I think he even got a swing and miss on one. But what's really helping is that now hitters can't just sit slider fastball all the time. He, the two big jams that he got out of, he threw changeups to Kepler and both times he cues him off the end of the bat because he's out in front and his speed variance is not very much on it's that changeup. He throws the maybe, change up pretty hard. It's um, maybe six or seven miles an hour. Yeah, but it works. It does what it has to do. Really impressed with what Singer was able to do. Hope he can continue with that mix. And like you mentioned, and I did a little back and forth with uh, David Lesky on this on Twitter talking about the, maybe the most impressive thing I saw from him today 
He gets the bases loaded and then he throws a slider down and away to a right-handed hitter, Sanchez, and it's a strike, but the ump calls it a ball. And I'm thinking, oh no, like I was pissed. Bases are loaded. <laughs> and I'm like, this is going to be bad. I saw that. Throws and the I just, next I one. Same damn thing. Expletive. Same damn thing on the next pitch. Slider down and away, but it looks in the zone. Ball two. I'm like, here it comes. Here it comes. He is going to shit the bed. And then he throws him a fastball, a, a two seam fastball in on his hands and gets out of it with a weak pop fly. Like, that's not what Brady Singer does. Brady Singer then tries to pick off a guy and throws it into the stands or something. Like, it was really good to see it. You could tell afterward because they showed a shot of it. He was pissed at the umpire, um, which I was too. So I give him that. But unbelievable. Just really good to see him stay composed, which is what I've wanted to see. And the changeup changes the game for him. He can be, if he can keep the pitch mix going and he get and he can have a good, decent command with the fastball, he can be a staple for years now. Yeah. And there's no saying that that changeup won't even take a step forward as he continues to use it. And so, you know, the prospect for Brady Singer has really night and day now at this point. And that's and, amazing to see. And imagine what just having the confidence in it now. And here's the question. Here's the real question, because I know we've asked it. What did they tell him in AAA that they weren't telling him in spring training? Exactly. It, over exactly. the offseason. I know they couldn't they couldn't have contact with him, but you were with him all last year. How, you were, how about over the over his first two years in the majors league? Exactly. How about that? He what was in triple A for three weeks and they automatically got it. And no. they couldn't no. do it in the two years he's been there. What the yeah, hell? That, that's that's kind of that's that's gotta be a big question that's gotta be asked. Right. Another question we got to ask is, you know, what's up with the two people who we chose for week performances this week? They're not playing great. Uh, Mike, you're going to talk about somebody who has really started to take on the ire of the Royals fan base. So, uh, yeah, and this is beating a dead horse, but I had to pick. I kind of wanted to pick between two people. I was like, oh, do I go with Carlos Santana or do I go with Bobby Wood Jr.? And I'm looking at their numbers and they're roughly similar because Bobby Wood Jr. didn't have a great week. But then I looked at their OPS and Bobby Witt Jr.'s was like 250 points higher, right? Because he's going to hit for extra bases and he's going to do some things, uh, you know, that are just better than what Carlos Santana can do. Because if Carlos Santana doesn't hit the ball, he can't really do anything. Uh, He was three for 23 this week with six strikeouts. He did have one home run and he did have one double. So two of his three hits were for extra bases. But yeah, it's not looking good. It's looking better for him right now, I guess, but better still, than what was previously, but previously yeah. it was looking, Previ- I mean, previous, let's be honest. Previous was the worst qualified hitter in baseball. Yeah. The, when, the you, worst. When, you, when you take a slight step up from the worst hitter in baseball, you're still not anywhere near where you need to be as a first baseman. He is a first baseman who offers no value in any other way besides at the plate. And so if you're not crushing it, you're worthless and hurting your team. And, and so, the stark contrast with what Pasquantino is doing right now is just, I know. Makes it, it really just pushes some salt deeper, deeper into that wound, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> twisting the knife a little bit yeah, more, just a little, but that's okay. We're going to talk about a little bit about Vinny Pasquantino later. Uh, I'm going to talk about Dylan Coleman. He's had a really rough week. The Royals bullpen has been roughed up this week in part, I think because of overuse, they've just been run ragged throughout this 19 game stretch or whatever it's been that they've played every single day and including a couple double headers in there the the Royals bullpen just looks burnt already and we know guys like Coleman and you know Stalmont and they all threw those guys. Stalmont 30 pitches today I know Stalmont never throws 30 pitches they have to they send him out for another <laughs> inning and he ha- he has to throw that much because they need 
they need it. They're just, they're running out of arms. And so I'm not blaming the bullpen too much yeah. for, it looks really bad right now. Like it, look at their ranks and stuff like that. They look bad, but they're not as bad as their numbers. They're just burnt out. They've just been used too much. And Dylan Coleman is one of those guys who I think is also the case. He struggled a bunch this week. He, had, he went three and a third innings, gave up four runs, four walks, five strikeouts, which we know he can do, but he's been sent down to AAA now, basically to work on his command or because they need to just shuttle guys back and forth into this bullpen. I'd like to see him tighten up that command. His walk rate is way too high right now. We know he's got the stuff and that's great. We know he's got the strikeout ability. So we can't have those kind of walk numbers and still stick in a major league bullpen. And so hopefully he can tighten up some command at some point come back up and be an effective reliever. I'm not too worried about him. I just want him to have a better pitching coach who could help him teach that sort of command. But hey, what do I know? With this push towards the younger players, with the ways in which they've been performing this week, I know it's tough and I know it was a rough twin series, but I can't help but look at this week and say, this is what it means to be competitive. You know, blowing a a bullpen, blowing a lead late in a game, that happens to good teams, right? That happens to good teams too. The thing is, We were in every single game this week, and that's what it means to be competitive to me. That gives me some hope. Looking at this lineup, looking at this rotation, it all looks better than it did three weeks ago. And I'm much happier with where the team is now when I could say, hey, at least the Royals are competitive, even if they're not winning a ton of games. The thing that kills me about that, though, those 40 games at the beginning, they matter too. They do. Like They absolutely do. Way too often, we're like, "Eh, we'll just see how it goes those first 40 no, we got to be competitive day one, man. And you can't tell me well, that remember, you thought rem- Carlos Santana was going to be competitive hitter day one. Remember what I said before the season started? I said to you this very thing. I don't actually think they are trying to compete because they're not playing their best players. And you were like, oh, but no, they say they're trying to compete. I don't think so. You thought that they were just like, they think Carlos Santana is, gives them the, you thought that they were just wrong in that thinking. I don't think they were ever trying to compete. I don't think anybody could fool themselves into thinking that Carlos Santana and Ryan O'Hearn and all these guys and were their best chance to win baseball games. I just don't think that that's the case. And so you ask me now, maybe they were one foot in one foot out kind of a thing. And the Royals are known for doing that. I think Alec Lewis wrote a column about it not that long ago, but in my mind, they were not, they definitely weren't giving themselves the best chance to win from day one. And I don't even think they, they were wholeheartedly trying to compete from day one. I think they were like, let's try and get Carlos Hernandez's trade value up. Let's try and do, you know, do these few other things that, yeah, they're going to harm our ability to win now, but maybe help us later, right? Like that's fine. But now at least they look competitive. Yeah, I guess. And I actually, that kind of leads into my theme for the week. It's a, my theme is squint and see a major league starting rotation. Because if you do that right now with those five guys they have in there, and these probably aren't their best five guys even, but if you squint, it looks like a real major league starting rotation. Five guys that give you a chance to win when they go out there. And that's really all you can ask for, for a Royals team that is in transition, that doesn't really know what it is right now. You've got two of the guys that you really thought were going to be great, two that are still in AAA, like in Kowar and Bubich, and you might throw Hernandez in there as well. But if you kind of squint, you get a, you get five guys that can keep you in a ball game, and I'll take it. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout-out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. 
We're constantly posting new commentary and analysis, so check that out. Last week may actually mark a fairly pivotal point in the Royals' near future, as it seemed like last week was the week that they started to turn toward the young players. Granted, they didn't do it fully or willingly. Vinny Pasquantino and Nick Prado are still in AAA. It took Michael A. Taylor getting COVID to get Kyle Isbell regular playing time. Allegedly getting COVID. Allegedly getting COVID to get (laughs) Kyle Isbell playing time. But at this point, you have to imagine that there's no turning back. This is the kids' team now, and I'd like to spend our spotlight segment talking about how each has played so far and the types of things we like to see from them in the future. We'll start with the big name, the marquee man, Sir Robert Baseball. Mike, what are your thoughts on how Bobby Witt Jr. has played so far, and what do you want to see from him moving forward? We got to trademark Sir Robert Baseball before yeah, somebody do. steals that thing. Before he does it. Before, before he, he tries to it. take it. We'll take his own name, idiot. Um, no, I'm pretty happy so far with how Bobby Witt Jr. has played. I would like to see more walks and still every once in a while. And we did see two. He did walk twice this week, I think in the same game, if I'm not mistaken. But I would like to see him uh, walk a little bit more. I think some of those mistake pitches that he was missing early on, I think he started to really hit those hard, which is something you wanted to see. But every once in a while, you see a really bad at bat. And it's usually started with him swinging at at a pitch that's out of the zone. And so if he can cut down on those really bad at bats and walk a little bit more, I think we're going to see continue to see growth from Bobby Witt Jr. as a hitter. Yeah, when he's not hitting well, like when you see those bad at bats, you can tell he's just trying to do too much. He's a lot of times that's with runners in scoring position or guys on base. He's just trying to do too much in those moments, it looks like. And I got to say, like, the thing I want to see from him is keep that good approach. We see that approach developing, and that's awesome. The thing I love about him most as a player is the rate at which he learns. He just learns and adjusts so quickly. And I love to see that. Now, what we need to see is him to continue to sort of cut down on the swing rate. He actually needs to swing less. And that means swinging less at sliders down and away. You can tell every once in a while there's an at bat where he's like, I'm just swinging. Like I'm guessing I'm trying to ambush first pitch fastball, but all he's doing is really guessing that that's what he's going to get. And that's not the way he should be doing it. He's doing good shooting fastballs the other way, pulling, pulling, hanging, breaking balls and things like that, hitting them hard. I want to see him keep to that approach because that's really working well for him. And he's going to get a lot of extra base hits, a lot of home runs. If he can do stuff like look fastball, adjust breaking ball. Because his bat is quick enough and he is strong enough to hit fastballs the opposite field, leg out doubles and triples, and then when he does get a hanging breaking ball, pound it over the wall. He's That's the sort of thing that's really going to work for him if he continues to do that. And then take your walks because you're going to get walked enough because right now they're not treating you like you're a disciplined hitter. So when you start walking more, they're going to start treating you like a disciplined hitter. You start getting more strikes to hit. I mean, I, sometimes I just sort of imagine what if Bobby Witt Jr. had an MJ Melendez-like approach? Maybe he would be a little bit more uh, dynamic, even, even more dynamic than he currently is. Melendez has done better, I think, adjusting to Major League Baseball up to this point. Mike, how do you feel about Melendez and how he's adjusting to Major League Baseball and what he might need to look to adjust for in the future? Well, I said this earlier. When he came up, he was already having the best at-bats of anybody on the team. If you watch, and it's fun when he leads off an inning, kind of, because they're always like, oh, this is the pitch count for the pitcher this inning. Well, he leads off an inning. He's already at seven or 10 pitches. There are times Royals won't make a guy throw seven or 10 pitches in a whole inning. But when an MJ Melendez that bat is in there, he will, because Melendez does not swing early in counts. He just doesn't do it. Unless it's something he absolutely wants to crush, he doesn't do it. And it's, it's 
you know, produces, which is phenomenal. It's really how everybody should do it. The things I would like to see moving forward, they're starting to throw him a lot of high fastballs and Ober did it today like crazy because he struggles to hit that high fastball. And so I would like to see him make an adjustment to it. I know you've mentioned just laying off of it. That's a little touchy in my opinion to just lay off pitches that are in the strike zone, but I mean, our guys going to be able to consistently keep it in the strike zone. That's a good question. If they can't, well, let me put it this way. I think, and I think you said this about Nicky Lopez, he should lay off of it unless it's two strikes, right? Lay off it unless it's two strikes. And I'd like to see him make that adjustment. Um, but he's already got the best at bats on the team. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep with that good approach. And I think we'll start to see the power numbers go up for him. Yeah. Those high fastballs are really eating his lunch. And he just, I think last year he did okay getting on top of them, but that's going to be the case in the easier in the minors than it is in the majors where guys are throwing high octane all the time. And so he's going to have trouble, I think with fastballs up in the zone, then he, he needs to lay off of them and that's fine. You know, it's really hard for a pitcher to consistently locate a fastball in the upper third. A lot of the times it's going to be up over the strike zone or down in the middle where you can actually take advantage of it. He needs to find a way to lay off those high fastballs unless he's got two strikes and then just find a way to put them in place. But I'm really happy with his approach, really happy with what he's doing. I just, I don't want the other Royals to infect him, if that makes sense. I don't want them to be infected by this, like swing all the time, got to be aggressive, all that sort of stuff. You know, don't do that. Take your approach. Your approach was working in the minors. It will work in the majors be patient, take walks, put the ball in play with two strikes, that sort of thing. And you will have power, plenty of power. You will do plenty. You will do plenty well with extra base hits. Just make sure you're not being overly aggressive, swinging at balls outside the strike zone that you can't do damage on. Find the pitches you can do damage on and do damage on them. A guy who's been doing a lot of damage lately, Kyle Isbell, just keeps crushing the ball all the time. He's hitting the ball so hard right now. And it's sort of a profile. I don't know that we expected from him. I think we sort of expected him to be more like a closer to a Whit Merrifield dink and dunk sort of line drive, not like really putting charges into the ball, but hitting it with at the right launch angle, kind of a hitter, but he's really been tattooing the ball since he came up. He's not hitting it out of the ballpark, but he's hitting it really, really hard. Uh, Mike, what are you seeing from Kyle Isbell and what do you like to see him do more in the future? Well, one thing I'm kind of pleasantly surprised about is that he's adjusted a little bit to righties used to love to throw him down and in breaking stuff down and in, and he would swing over the top of it quite a bit. He seems to be getting out in front of that and pulling the crap out of it down the line. He has been hammering the right field line uh, like crazy and for doubles and, and, you know, uh, just really doing what you like to see from the left side. There's only a couple things I'd like to see moving forward. Some of his defensive decision-making isn't great. It's, you know, it kind of baffles me a little bit. He made a decision to throw to third today uh, instead of going to second to keep a double play. The ball got away. Now then we have second and third rather than um, first and third. And it was like, there was no chance at getting that guy at third. I don't really know what he was doing. And so so there are some small decision-making things that, that defensively I think could, could be better, but he may just, that just might be who he is. Yeah, I think those are exactly the type of things that I would like to see him work on a little bit. But what I'm really excited about is the fact that he is hitting the ball so hard. I thought that he was going to be a light hitter and I was like happy because he was taking walks and working counts. I would like to see him work a few more walks. He's been. And that was my other thing right there. Work more walks. (laughs) Okay. 
yeah, that Mozier, I'd like to see him work a few more walks, which I think he will do. I think his approach is there to do that. And right now they're challenging him a lot as a hitter because he's new, you know, he, you know, they want to see if this guy can hang in the, So they're going to throw him fastballs and he's down at the bottom of the order a lot of the time. And they're not willing to sort of like pitch around guys like that, but he's got a good approach. I think his, the walks will come. I'm fine with what he's doing defensively in center, but it is clear that he is a little bit of a downgrade from Michael A. Taylor. I think he's probably a league average center fielder. I haven't looked at the numbers for him up to this point, but I think he's probably a league average center fielder and an elite defender in the corners. So whether wherever he ends up, I think he'll be fine defensively, but I really love the fact that he's hitting the ball a hundred plus a lot. And that's going to do a lot for him as he moves forward in terms of extra base hits in the gaps. I think he's going to put some balls out. Just keep it up, Kyle Isbell, because you are a hitter right now, my friend. Another guy who's looking pretty hitterish right now is somebody I don't think anybody has expected to look really like a hitter. That's Emmanuel Rivera. He's hitting 240, 296 on base and a 540 slugging. It's the 540 slugging that I think is really impressing and surprising quite a few people. Mike, what do you think of Emmanuel Rivera so far in his limited playing time? Well, I am surprised at the amount that he's been driving the ball. The home runs and the extra base hits are a little bit surprising to me, but keep doing it. You know, that's my thing. Keep having good at bats. He's another one that has shown the ability to take some really good at bats. He's not going to walk nearly as much as somebody like a MJ Melendez or somebody like that, but he has been taking really good at bats and he seems to be squaring the ball up. Well, throw on top of that, the fact that he's a really good defender and yeah, I'm definitely okay with uh, him continuing to play. The weird thing that is going to be when guys start getting healthy, is he going to get at bats? I hope he does. I hope they find a way to continue to get him at bats, but I'm not sure that that's going to be the case. Here's what's weird. If you want Vinny Pascantino and Nick Prado up on this team and MJ Melendez and all these, Manuel Rivera can't play a lot in a team that's got all those guys in it, you know? And so, well, unless, unless you can squeeze one or two of them into the outfield. Maybe, but like, but even then, you know, where are you going to squeeze them? Isbell's got to play out there, you know, like, unless you're playing, unless you're sitting Michael A. Taylor and you put an Isbell in center, you know, Olivares is going to be back before too long. And it's, it gets a little crowded if, if you're talking about all these guys and Rivera, Love the way he plays. I think he's a bench player long-term. I'm not sure it'll he'll sustain the level of performance he's had so far, but I love to see, I like his glove at third. He's, it looks like he's played really well and he is making contact and, and hitting the ball hard. And that's really impressive. And so he's the type of guy I really associate with a team like the Cardinals. The Cardinals have guys like Emmanuel Rivera who can rotate in, play once or twice a week and do great when they're playing. If he can become that, if he can be that for the Royals, boy, that'll be, that'll go a long way in sort of having the depth and helping them develop and build a roster that is ready to compete for a division. But enough about all these hitters. It's not all about the hitters. A lot of times, I think what's really been impressive for the Royals this week has been the pitchers has been finally filling out a rotation with guys you think can give you consistent starts. I've been super impressed with John Heasley. That includes in his AAA run. I've watched a lot of his AAA outings, and I've been impressed with what he's been doing in the majors so far. Mike, how are you feeling about John Heasley at this point? I'm actually a little underwhelmed with how John Heasley has done, but that's because I'm a John Heasley fanatic, if you will. I liked John Heasley. A fundamentalist. A John I like, Heasley yeah. fundamentalist. I liked John Heasley before it was cool to like John Heasley. How about that? No, um, <laughs> I, I just think he needs to be more confident in his stuff at the major league level. His thing in the minors was, you know, he's got four pitches. They're probably all average pitches, but he throws strikes. He doesn't walk guys. Well, in his last couple starts here in the majors, he's been walking guys, which isn't really like him. And I think it's because sometimes he's afraid to give up the home run. And so he needs to stay confident in the pitches that he has 
and realize that as long as he's mixing them well, he can have success at the major league level. He may give up a home run or two, but it helps a lot more when you're not putting guys on for free. Yeah, I don't think we've seen the best of John Heasley yet. And for the very reasons that you've said, he does seem a little timid when it comes to throwing strikes. And that's his calling card. Earlier this year in AAA, he had a lot of success not walking guys, living in the zone, letting his stuff speak for itself. And yeah, he might get tagged for a home run every now and again, but that's fine. It doesn't really matter as long as you're not walking guys. And so I think we still have even better starts to see from him as he continues to mix pitches, show us how good that changeup is maybe live up in the zone a little bit more with the fastball, because I don't like the fact that he likes to throw it down in the zone so much, throw it up in the zone, throw change-ups, mix in your curveball and slider a lot. And he can keep guys off balance. If he does that, I want to see him more of him though, because at the very least I know I'm going to get, you know, five quality innings. Most of the time from him, I'm going to get five innings at three to four runs most of the time from him. And I can live with that because he's your fifth starter. Yeah. And, I think Ober today was a good example of a guy who can throw not the hardest fastball in the world, but still live in the top of the zone and do well with it. And he, he was doing that consistently today. It was very frustrating to watch him throw those to Nicky Lopez, who is just going to pop that up. Uh, MJ Melendez, who has a tough time getting to high fastballs. He was throwing them to a lot of guys. If Heasley can get, and he's a right-hander as well. If Heasley can get in the top of the zone with that fastball, it makes it harder for guys to square it up and hit it at a launch angle that it's going to leave the park. Yeah. Especially in a park like Kaufman, which is so big, like Heasley is perfect pitcher is the perfect pitcher for Kaufman because yes, he gives up too many fly balls, but this ballpark is huge. Like a lot of them aren't going to leave, especially with this dead and ball. So feel free to live in the zone, John Heasley, especially if you want to live up with that fastball. We've already talked a little bit about Brady Singer, but I want to bring him up again because him being in the rotation and being effective is a big part of solidifying the pitching staff. He has looked great so far. I think he really just needs to keep it up, keep throwing that change up 15 to 20% of the time. You maybe get that fastball command a little bit tighter. And you're talking about somebody who can look very much like a number three, a really solid number three, a three and a half ERA kind of a guy. That's what I put out there when I watched his, some of his AAA starts, I put out there, Hey, I'm seeing something that looks so good. He could be three and a half ERA guy in the major leagues. If he keeps it up, if he tightens up that fastball command, I think that's where he might end up. Yeah. And I agree completely. The other big thing for him, I think is keeping that composure. And when guys get on base, being the same pitcher that you are when guys aren't on base. Now let's come to the name that everybody really wants to talk about. And that's Vinny Pasquantino. The big sexy. Here we go. (laughs) Vinny Pasquantino had a, day in AAA today. I don't have the yeah. numbers, but I think he went something like three for five so far this year. He's having a season. So he's hitting 275 with a 380 on base. I, that's right. 380 on base. His on base is 105 points higher than his batting average coming into today, at least, or maybe those are updated numbers. I'm not really sure. And then his slugging 585. That's a 965 OPS from Vinny Pasquantino done nothing but crush the ball for almost this entire AAA season. Fans are calling for him. Mike, what do you think about Vinny Pascantino and his future? Every single day, it's Vinny Pascantino hit another double today. Vinny Pascantino had a home run and a double today. It's like, man. Vinny Pascantino took two walks today. Two, yeah. He's got more walks than he does strikeouts. More walks. Um, I think he has more extra base hits than he has strikeouts at this point. It would not surprise me. This guy is doing unreal things. And I need to see him play at the major league level. I know he's not a great defensive first baseman, and I don't give a damn. Get him up here, DH him, let him play first. I don't care if he can't play first base for shit. Let him play. 
and so that we can start seeing what he is at the major league level. If he does this type of stuff at the major league level, he's now your three hitter forever for six years, at least. Yeah. He's your three hitter. You know, Bobby Wood Jr. is going to be somewhere up there for you. Maybe he's your four hitter and Bobby Wood Jr. is your three hitter. I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. He is going to be the guy who is driving in these runners who are in scoring position. Right now, Carlos Santana, yeah, he came up with a hit today. You know, one in the 40 games that he's had. You know, he has missed so many opportunities with runners in scoring position. Salvador Perez, who's not having a great year, has missed a lot of opportunities with running scoring position. Why? Because they don't take, well, Santana takes pretty good at bats, but his bat's too slow to do anything with pitches he should be hitting. Salvador Perez, you don't want him to have to be a 3-4 hitter for you, right? I know he he played great last year, but you don't want a guy who takes those bad of a bats, who's a streaky hitter, to, you don't want to have to rely on him. You want him hitting sixth or seventh, but hitting bombs for you. Yeah, I want that, but I don't want him at the top of my lineup. I want Vinny Pascantino at the top of my lineup because he's going to take a walk when he should. He's not going to swing at a ton of pitches outside the strike zone. He's going to hit doubles and tri- not triples because he's really slow. He's going to hit doubles and home runs. That's the type of guy who can be a linchpin for your offense. It's time to get him to the major leagues. We've hit that 40 game mark. Time to start making some evaluations where you say Santana out, Pasquantino up. What do you think about this comp here? A left-handed Paul Canerco when Paul Canerco was really, really good. I don't know that he'll ever have that level of power, but just a shade under. I mean, just a shade. That's a good comp. Paul Canerco took walks. Paul Canerco was just a solid, solid hitter. Not much of a defender, really slow on the base path. That's what that's what Pascantino is going to be. Pascantino is a twenty grade runner. He cannot run, but he can. He's he's basically Salvador Perez at first base, uh, and so. But man, he is like Paul Canerco, and that he is going to give you a lot of great at bats. He's going to take walks. He's going to hit for power. It's going to be more doubles probably than home runs. But you know, twenty to twenty five home runs in Kaufman with forty to forty five doubles, maybe fifty. Yeah, he can do that sort of thing if he gets everyday playing time in the major leagues. Let me make it clear. In the major leagues, <laughs> not in AAA. Dude's 24 already, wasting time in Omaha. The next guy is a little less certain for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, people sometimes clamor for him to come up. I'm, I'm a fan of his. I think he's going to be great, but it's less certain than the Vinny Pascantino call up, and that's Nick Prado. Uh, I think he was on the verge of sort of turning it around and then he got hit in the head with a pitch and had to go on the seven day IL or something like that. But he has bounced right back to where he was coming back. Like, where do you think Nick Prado is in his progression? Should he be coming up right now too? Or should we give it a little time on him? I think we got to give it a little bit more time because even last year when Prado really turned his prospect status, Nick Prado and MJ Melendez are like the two like cautionary tales of of what was high a Wilmington and the Royals pretty much ditched probably because of that year. They had one of the worst years in minor league baseball that's combined that you'll ever see. And then both of them were able to turn it around last year. Prado's turnaround last year was great to see because he was walking a lot more, but his strikeout numbers were still really high and they still are now at AAA. So I think he needs a little bit more time. He is still walking, which is great to see. And he is showing some serious power, which is really good to see. He just needs to strike out a little tiny bit less to really have some success in Major League Baseball. And he, he might be one of those weird kind of guys that has a little bit, when he comes up, it might be a little bit easier for him in a sense, because there I think Major League pitchers a lot of times are going to be a little bit more predictable in the zone than what some AAA guys can be. So. I don't know. It might be a toss up. He may come up and just start flailing because he's putting pressure on himself. I don't know. But 
Yeah, and to he be is clear, the better defender, and he does run better than than Pasquantino. Everybody and does. To be, and to be clear, Prado doesn't strike out because he swings and misses a lot. His swing and misses numbers are actually pretty low. It's that he works so deep into counts all the time. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to be a three true outcomes kind of guy because he works deep into counts. He's going to draw a lot of walks. His on base, his, his batting average right now is 225. His on base is 361. And yeah. so he's walking a ton. You know, he's got a 450 slugging. He's hitting the ball with hard when he, when he makes contact. But he does, you're right. He does strike out a little bit too much, more than you'd like. He was turning that around for a couple of weeks before he got hit in the head. He was starting to limit those strikeouts a little bit. If he can continue to limit those strikeouts, I say give him a couple more weeks at least to sort of get right, you know, get back to finding that groove at AAA, then bring him up when he's ready then. Okay. Because I think you're right. I, because I, the swinging strike rate isn't the issue because it's an issue of like being aggressive earlier in counts for him. Sometimes I think he's going to be okay. I don't think it's going to crush him in terms of strikeout rate going up. Now I could be wrong because it is right there on the margin right now in AAA, and the guys in the major leagues have better stuff than the guys in AAA. but we need to see it. It's time for him to start acclimating to, to the major leagues. And so get him up there in a couple of weeks when he looks ready. And I will say, just to everybody, as these guys get up there and the guys with better approaches, you start to see them get more plate appearances. And Nick Prado will be one of these guys. They will strike out looking. It will happen. We, we haven't seen guys strike out looking for the Royals in the last. Kyle Isbell does. Occasionally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, that's what I'm saying. Kyle Isbell will. MJ Melendez will. Nick Prado will. You know, those guys will strike out looking from time to time because they are going to kind of prioritize taking or swinging at good pitches. And so they'll take one on the edges for strike three occasionally. So it doesn't bother me that much because I know the trade off there. Uh, but yeah, for, for Prado, it can, it can be a little, uh, he gets so deep into those counts. Your only option is strike out or walk. The Royals hit the road this week for two in Arizona and then another four games against Minnesota in the twin cities. Hopefully they'll get a little revenge for a frankly embarrassing three game sweep at the hands of the twins this weekend. Mike, tell us about the Diamondbacks, who we head to before we get a day off and then head to Minnesota. Well, Zach Granke will be visiting his former Diamondbacks team. We'll go against Zach Davies, a 29-year-old right-hander with a 4.35 ERA, a 1.25 whip. The Diamondbacks are 21-22, and 22, fourth in the NL Central, which is a big jump for them because they were not very good last year. Davies is a bit of a soft tosser, a sinker baller. He throws a lot of sinkers, a lot of change-ups, and he gets a lot of ground balls. So hopefully the Royals will be able to elevate a little bit against him. In the second game, we should have Heasley versus Zach Gallon, 26-year-old righty at a University of North Carolina, 1.14 ERA. He's got a really low whip at .71, so he's not letting a lot of guys on base. He leans heavy on a, a, a pretty good fastball. He has a changeup, a curveball, and a cutter as well. Uh, the changeup is supposedly one of the best in the league, so we'll see if uh, we can stay back on that a little bit and get some hits. But most important, he doesn't walk very many people, and that's why his whip is so low. Yeah, 1.83 walks per nine for Gallon. He is uh, kind of replacing Zach Greinke in Arizona as the guy who doesn't walk people. And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, if he can keep those walk numbers low, I'm just trying to imagine a, a Royals pitcher with that kind of stuff who doesn't walk people. Like, imagine Zach Greinke walk rate, but, you know, uh, he could also strike people out, but yeah, Brady singer like stuff or Daniel Lynch like stuff, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of the dream. I think um, after Arizona, the heat of the desert there, they'll come uh, up North to play Minnesota again. 
you should already know about this team. We just finished playing them. They're 25 and 16. They're leading the AL Central right now, playing just great baseball. That was what I was noticed from watching that series is they do things that like you love to see a baseball team do, you know, like they got two strikes on them. They got guys on base. They're hitting the ball the other way. They're just doing a lot of really good things, bringing in runners at third, less than two out. I'm very impressed with the way the twins are looking. You'll remember they finished last in the AL central last year and yet quick turnaround. They're right back at the top this year. Their pitching staff led by Joe Ryan, who we got to see in this series, nasty fastball slider combo from him. He gave up one run in five and two thirds innings pitched against us last time. I'm sure we'll run into him again because it's a four game series. And so we'll probably see him. Hopefully the Royals can do more with him this time on offense. They got a group of solid bats up and down the lineup. Really Buxton is the one who's the big name, great player, probably or almost certainly an all-star but Luis Araz is hitting the crap out of the ball as well Kyle Garlic has a funny name but he's also crushing the ball yeah. <laughs> uh yeah they're just a very solid lineup a very solid ball club up and, and Larnack is back Larnack and I like I like too. Kepler in right field too they got these good guys, man. good speed yeah they got they got a talented baseball team that maybe doesn't isn't packed full of huge named all-stars like we didn't even mention Carlos Correa yeah, we, yeah, like I said, uh, but the thing about the Twins is they're not packed full of big names like a team like the Yankees with Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and Josh Donaldson and stuff like that. They're packed full of really solid ball players. They got a couple stars in Buxton and Correa, but man, they're just good up and down the team, the roster. They're they're really a testament to having a deep roster um, is better than a star-studded roster. And remember, sense. Buxton is a guy that they developed, they brought up, they were patient with. Things like that. So it, it, I've always thought like Byron Buxton is what Raul Mondesi could have been had he, or Adalberto Mondesi, sorry, could have been had we developed him. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that is interesting to us outside the world of baseball. We have very rich, full, full fulfilled lives. lives outside the world of baseball. It's not just believe all those all the things. Time. Yeah, believe it. Believe it. Um, Mike, tell us what is going on in your very interesting life outside the world of baseball. <laughs> oh, my very interesting life. I'm about to talk about one of the bo- most boring things you'll ever hear about. Uh, so I, I wanted to talk about um, online or like, I guess like streaming services for documentaries. They're awesome people. Okay. I subscribe to multiple. Okay. I subscribe to curiosity stream, which is okay, but it's only $20 a year. Okay. You can't be $20 a year. And then I subscribe to the PBS documentaries that channel that you can get on Amazon prime. Okay. And it's awesome. Okay. I can watch Ken Burns baseball whenever I want to. Okay. And so like, Mike, why do you do this? Why would you subscribe? There's another one called Magellan, by the way. That's really cool. Mike, you also watch masterpiece theater whenever you want. I wish I would. Maybe, maybe I can. I don't, you can watch Downton Abbey whenever he wants to worship him. That's not the point. That's not the point. (laughs) The point is not to watch like fictional programming for me. It's to watch documentaries because I'm a documentary fiend. That's how I fall asleep every single night. So every single night I watch a documentary to fall asleep. And if I don't finish it, I start where I fell asleep the night before. So I'm learning and going to sleep at the same time. <laughs> These things are so riveting. They're guaranteed to put you to sleep. And that's the deal. They will put you to sleep. And that's, but that's okay with me. I find them interesting. Even if, you know, the narrator's voice is very soothing and puts me to sleep. Um, and so yeah, I highly recommend check out some Magellan TV is a really good one. Curiosity stream is okay. It's just super cheap, which I like. And then the, the creme de la creme is that uh, PBS documentaries channel 
on Amazon Prime is just really, really great. So if anybody else has a good one, I'm always looking to, to diversify. So uh, hit us up on Twitter and let me know about the documentary streaming service that you prefer, because I know you guys are all out there watching history documentaries on the left and the right. Okay, so let me know. Because you're super interesting people just like Mike. That's right. <laughs> oh, man, mine's going to be fairly boring, though, I think important. And that is, I want to talk about the emphasis and the importance of taking a day. Okay. Last weekend, not not this, what will be the weekend before we're recording this, uh, my partner's parents came to town and we had to like spend the whole weekend like entertaining them and going to do things. And we packed a whole lot into what ended up being three days because we took Friday off to entertain them. Um, and it was just a lot. We did a whole lot in a weekend. So all week, all we did was tell ourselves this next weekend, we aren't doing shit. And so this weekend, especially on Saturday, I did nothing. I took a day to do nothing. I played Legend of Zelda a lot. I watched baseball. I just chilled. I went for a walk briefly. Uh, it was just very much a day of doing nothing. And it so recharged my batteries. I feel great today. I got nine hours of sleep last night because I just took a day and my day ended up being very relaxing and, and chilling. You know? and Look so, at you acting like you don't regularly get nine hours of sleep. I man. don't get regularly get nine hours of sleep. I don't. I wish I did. Uh, you know what I like to do? Doesn't let me. I like to do this as well, but I actually take the day off work when I do it. So I call them mental health days. A lot of people maybe use that uh, phrase as well. I've actually convinced some of my coworkers to take a mental health day here and there, uh, which I think is nice. Um, yeah, but I got to have them. I have mm -hmm. to. Like I have. And Saturday was my day too. This Saturday, I, I didn't do anything. Well, that's what's weird is like sometimes my weekends get packed with things that are fun and that I want to do. I mean, there's I social my activities, wife. you know, like I like I had fun hanging out with my partner's parents and going to do stuff. And I have fun hanging out with you or hanging out with other people. But at times it's like it's not relaxing, I, though. It's not like, what I need is to like turn off you know, yeah. for, for a day. And so make sure you're taking that time to turn off for yourself and find what your turn off thing is, right? Like everybody does different things to turn off. I play video games to turn off. I, I, or, or like sometimes it's a routine. So like I went to neighbors on Saturday, Saturday morning, and I got this breakfast that I get a lot of times when I go to neighbors and it was just the perfect way to start a day of just relaxing. And so you know, I, I ate neighbors and then I came home and I played video games. It's like, these are the things that Mine I always turn, involves a turn nap. my brain off. Yeah. I took a nap too. Yeah. And I read, I haven't read just like sitting and reading for a long time. Um, some, I always read before I often read before I go to sleep and stuff, but I haven't had time to just sit, lay down and read. So I did that for quite a while. It's just, it's these sorts of things that allow our brains to reset, allow us to sort of just decompress. And I, I feel like it's a really important thing to do. And I, I gotten a chance to do it this weekend and I'm super excited about it. I'm, I'm actually excited for the next time I get to do it too. So we'll see when that, when that's going to be. Do you know when you need to decompress when your favorite baseball team gives us a six run lead? In the <laughs> All right. Tomorrow I'm taking the day off work and we're doing another day. We're taking another day tomorrow. And I'm, when my boss asked me, how come tomorrow? One of my boss asked me, well, how come we weren't at work? He won't even notice, but my boss like is like, when were you at work? I'll be like, I needed a day. Uh, was, I don't know if you a, saw the Royals game. I don't know game, if you saw the sir. Royals game, but uh, <laughs> oh, no, wait, I have to go to work tomorrow. It's it's his birthday and I'm taking him to lunch. Um, no. <laughs> happy birthday, Thomas. Uh, if you're listening, I, I don't know that you are, but uh, yeah, uh, take a day, find a time, take a day. It's, it's, it's a great way to spend your time and to reset your body and, and your mind. Um, for those of you who need to do that after this last week of Royals performances, I completely understand. We understand. 
Mm-hmm. Completely understand. Hopefully this next week will be a little better. Hopefully we take a few games from the twins this week. Hopefully we take that whole series from Arizona. That's an opportunity, hopefully. Uh, but until that all happens, be good to each other. And go Royals. <laughs>